As we celebrate our sixth anniversary as a church, we are continuing our theme about the hope that we have because of God's faithfulness. Our message today is entitled, Not Consumed, and we are reading a passage from the book of Lamentations. Please turn your Bibles or your phones to Lamentations chapter 3, verses 19 to 24. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And I say to myself, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for Him. The Book of Lamentations was composed during the fall of Jerusalem under the invading Babylonian armies. It was Jeremiah's expression of sorrow and grief over the destruction of Jerusalem. And even if Jeremiah was speaking about Jerusalem's fate, Jeremiah's expression of sorrow is a reminder that suffering is always personal. In an unprecedented level, the entire world was put to a halt by the coronavirus. We have seen businesses collapse, governments overwhelmed, and countries put in chaos. But the greatest suffering still always takes place at the individual level. Life is challenging. We have suffered at one point in our lives, and as much as it is something that we would want to avoid at all costs, the Bible says tribulations will always be part of life. So what is really important are not the events that led to our suffering, but how we respond to the suffering. My prayer is that our message today will help us reflect on what we can do to face these trials and be able to live with the reality of its existence in our lives. Jeremiah said, I remember my affliction and my wandering. I remember the bitterness and the gall. The gall in the Bible, when it is mentioned, often refers to darkness, mystery, suffering. And to better understand why he said this, it is important to see the context from which the statement was made. And we find it in the verses preceding this. In verse 1 of chapter 3, he said, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again, all day long. Jeremiah was saying that the Lord has turned his hands against him over and over again, all throughout the day. Sometimes we ask God with clenched fists, Why? Why is this happening to me? Why is there one tragedy after another? Why are there setbacks and blows, one after the other? Have you had times when you felt like God has turned His hand against you? You feel like your soul is sinking, but you can't do anything about it. This is what Jeremiah was experiencing. In verse 6, he continues his grief. He said, He has made me dwell in darkness, like those long dead. He has walled me in, so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. 
Even when I call out or cry for help, He shuts out my prayer. Jeremiah felt that God has abandoned him. And we also go through seasons like there are times when we feel like God is not hearing our prayers. We call upon Him in desperation, but it seems like our plea falls on deaf ears and we become consumed by our affliction. In verse 9, He said, He has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. It is when life seems like blocked by so many obstacles ahead and the road is not easy. Like a bear lying in wait, like a lion in hiding, he dragged me from the path and mangled me and left me without help. He drew his bow and made me the target for his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. He has filled me with bitter herbs and given me gall to drink. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust. And this culminates in verses 17 and 18. He said, I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. So I say my splendor is gone and all that I have hoped from the Lord. This is probably the lowest point anyone can find himself in life. This is the point where Jeremiah felt like the Lord has left him. And all that he has is suffering and bitterness. Remember the story of Job? He was a very wealthy man and had a beautiful family and he feared the Lord. Four major events happened in his life, one after the other. Job's farm workers were attacked and killed. Fire from heaven killed the flocks of sheep and shepherds. Attackers took Job's camels and killed their caretakers. And finally, the wind collapsed the house and killed all his children, all ten of them. He became poor and sick, and his friends gave him bad advice, and some of them abandoned him. And Job had boils all over his body that he had to use broken shards of pottery to scrape off the scabs. His wife, even his wife, told him, Why don't you just curse God and die? And this is what he said. If we receive good things from the Lord, why should we not receive evil things? If God can bless us with so many good things in our life, why can't He allow us to suffer? I was born with nothing and I will die with nothing. The Lord gave and now He has taken away. Job was full of faith and he said, Even if God slays me, I will have hope. There are times in our life when we find ourselves in a helpless situation, maybe financially, or maybe in our marriage or our relationships, with our work, with our careers, with our health. We crave for peace. We long for answers, but it eludes us and we find ourselves being consumed by all the negative things that happen in our lives. Sociologists call it negativity bias. Even if we are in the Lord and we have a strong faith in Him, sometimes we give more weight in our minds to things that go wrong than to things that go right. And just one negative event is all it takes 
for us to forget everything else that God is doing in our life that we could be thankful for. They say it's one of the most basic psychological principles, and it's a key fact about how the mind works. What they're saying is that our mind is prone to overreact to negative things and just remain relative or passive to positive things. The study said we're hopeful that as we understand our inner nature, we can use our rational brain to override negativity when it gets in our way, and we can use it for positive purposes. The more we can get a rational brain involved in overriding these gut reactions, the more things will keep getting better. And I get it. Getting a rational brains involved in overriding our negative reaction to the things that happen around us is good. Knowing the psychology of the human brain is helpful. But when our world seems to be turning upside down, whenever we feel discouraged and downcast, the Bible doesn't tell us to get our rational minds thinking. It doesn't tell us to draw conclusions out of our own understanding. It doesn't tell us to try our best to make sense out of our tragedy or suffering. We are told to trust the Lord with all our heart. And it's not like trusting Him with 80% as we try to work out or understand the remaining 20 on our own. We need to trust Him with everything. Trust the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding. Setting aside everything we perceive about the situation and not depending on our own understanding of what's happening in our life. Why? Because the passage today tells us that there is hope even in the darkest of our circumstances. Let's study the verses again. Here, Jeremiah is saying, I remember my affliction, my wondering, all the bitterness that I suffered. And he emphasized it again. He said, I well remember them. With all that he has experienced, how can he not? First, we see here the need to be aware of what's happening in our life. And as you recall every pain, every tear, every frustration you experienced, you know that these things have taken you to where you are right now. The reason why you're feeling what you're feeling right now is because of these things. And because of this, your soul is downcast within you. What does this tell us? This tells us we need to acknowledge that what we feel is real. When our soul is downcast within us, we are told not to shove our affliction away and pretend that they do not exist. Or pretend that our anxiety or depression or sadness is just a hormonal thing and will just pass away. It's not just in the mind. No, every emotion, every pain, every disappointment and frustration that you feel is valid, it's real. But after acknowledging the truth of this present reality, Jeremiah takes a turn. He said, yet, I call this to mind. And yet means even if I'm in pain, in spite of the persecution, in spite of the tragedy, in spite of my present condition, I have hope. Why? How can we have hope in the midst of every negative thing that is happening in our lives? Jeremiah said, Therefore I have hope because I call to mind. I remind myself. I hold on. I can depend completely on three truths about God. 
and we find them in this passage. We can have hope in our struggles because, number one, God loves us. The verse says, because of His great love, we will never be consumed. And God's love doesn't change regardless of who you are or who you become because of what you've experienced in your life. Because that's who God is. He is love. And His love endures forever. Second, God's compassions for us never fail. Take note, it's not just a one-off thing. It says compassions. God will always be concerned for our sufferings and our misfortunes today, tomorrow, the next day, and every day after. The mercy and compassion of God towards us are new every morning. And third, we can have hope because God is always faithful. Here, Jeremiah was declaring, Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. In the midst of all the bitterness that he feels, he said to himself, he reminded himself, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. Let us remember that this passage tells us, In our affliction, in our greatest despair, faithfully waiting on the Lord is justified. We will not lose hope because God loves us, He cares about us, and He will always be faithful to His promises to us. We will have our why moments with the Lord. Lord, why this? Why that? The answer to our whys will help us understand the reason behind them. But remember, the times when we can't find the answer to our whys are the times when we have to trust the Lord with all our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. When we are consumed by the bitterness and suffering of life, we can always remind ourselves that there is hope because God always loves us. God is always compassionate and God is always faithful. I would like to end this message with a story that reminded me that knowing these truths about God can help us see through when we feel like we are being torn apart. It's about a man who probably asked God a million times, Why? Why did you allow this to happen to me? As he suffered one blow after another in his life. But as he acknowledged his circumstance, what he found was hope and the true peace that can only be experienced in a future surrender to the Lord. The song, It Is Well With My Soul, has a story behind it. It was written by Horatius Spafford at a time when he was having the same Jeremiah moment in his life. He wrote this in one of the most soul-wrenching time in his life. In the 1860s, Horatius Spafford was a senior partner in a prominent law firm in Chicago, and he is also a devout Christian and an active elder in a Presbyterian church. He is married to Anna Spafford and they have four beautiful daughters, Annie, Maggie, Bessie and Tanetta. Everything was going well in his life. He has a beautiful family. He has a flourishing career. And to add to all that, Horatio has also become very wealthy. He invested a big amount of his money in many premium lakeshore properties in Chicago. But his fate was put to the test when the Great Chicago Fire broke in 1871, wiping out almost the entire city in a matter of days. A map shows the extent of the devastation of that fire. 
and almost every lakeshore property was burned to the ground. Along with the fire, almost all of Horatio's wealth evaporated with it. Their home and their family had been spared. And for the next two years, even though their finances were mostly depleted, they used whatever resources they had left to feed the hungry, to care for the sick, to comfort their grief-stricken neighbors. They used it to show the love of Christ to those in need in these desperate times. Not long after, Anna's health began to fail, and thinking that a vacation would do his family some good, Horatio sent his wife and four daughters on a ship to England. But on the last-minute pressing business at home, Horatio had to stay back and just planned to join them as soon as he could. At about 2 o'clock in the morning, the 22nd of November, 1873, this wooden ship that his family was on collided with a much stronger iron sailing ship. Almost cut in half, in the matter of just 12 minutes, the ship sank into the murky waters of the Atlantic. Anna Spafford survived. She was found by a rescue boat holding on to a floating debris. 226 people died that morning, her four daughters included. She was devastated. While she was on the rescue ship en route to England, other survivors watched her closely, fearing that she would take away her life. She was even holding tightly to one of her daughters in her arms before they were swept by the waves. And you could just imagine how she felt when she surfaced without her. Can you just imagine the affliction, the bitterness, and the grief that the mother who lost her four daughters was going through? While on the rescue ship, she was quoted saying, God gave me four daughters. Now they have been taken from me. Someday, someday, I will understand why. Anna Spafford was taken to Cardiff, Wales, where she telegraphed her husband, Horatio. Anna's message was brief, but heartbreaking. Saved alone, what shall I do? As soon as he received Anna's telegram, Horatio left Chicago without delay to bring his wife home. And sailing across the Atlantic Ocean, the captain of the ship called Horatio to the bridge. He informed him that I believe we are now passing the place where the ship was wrecked. This is where your daughters died. That night, alone in his cabin, Horatio Spafford penned the words to his famous hymn, It is well with my soul. Horatio's faith in God never faltered. When peace like a river attendeth my soul, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot Though have taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Horatius' faith in God never faltered. His tragedy didn't end there. He and Anna had three other children after this incident. But his only son, named after his own Horatia Jr., died of scarlet fever when he was four. Two more of his close family died years after. Six deaths in the family. The loss of his wealth and every unimaginable pain a man can suffer. Bertha Spafford Vester, his daughter, 
wrote the following in her book, Our Jerusalem. She said, in Chicago, my father searched life, his life for explanation. Until now, it had flowed gently as a river. Spiritual peace and worldly security had sustained his early years, his family, and his home. All around him, people were asking the unvoiced question, what guilt had brought the sweeping tragedy to Anna and Horatius Spafford? My father became convinced, she said, that God was kind and that I would see my children again in heaven. This thought calmed his heart. In this journey we call life the questions that we cannot find answers to, the whys that we cannot understand, they are the ones we need to trust God with. When you are worried, when you are anxious, it's usually because you are trying to fix everything in your life by yourself. But when you are at peace, it is usually because you remember that it is not you, but God who is in control. When you put your problems in God's hands, He puts peace in your heart. The peace of God that transcends all understanding. Whatever your lot is, I hope you can say, it is well with my soul because God is bigger than anything you are facing today and anything that you can ever face tomorrow. Every single aspect of our relationship with God is based upon our choice to believe. In spite of what you're feeling right now, in spite of what your reality is right now, do you choose to believe that God loves you? Do you choose to believe that He cares about your suffering? And do you choose to believe that God will always be faithful? I remember my affliction and my wondering, the bitterness and the gall, I well remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. Lamentations chapter 3 verses 19 to 24 Whatever it is that you're going through, whatever it is that you're going through, there is hope. Because God loves you, he is compassionate and faithful, always. Have a blessed day everyone.